Hey guys, present Tim. Uh, I'm going to interject before we even get going on the podcast here. Uh, I misspeak a little bit at the uh, top of the episode. I kind of mix up my 16th, 17th, like 18th century. I'm kind of like bouncing around all over the place. So the 17th century is when the initial books and stuff were being written about the effervescence of mineral water and its medicinal properties. 18th century is when Priestley and Newth and Schweppes are, are making their contraptions and developing the process. Um, I also misspeak during Schweppes part. I say 1980. I'm, I'm, I mean to say 1780 and 1783, not 1980 and 1983. Uh, other than that, I think that's all the mistakes I've made. So we'll launch into the episode. Welcome to Where Does Food, the food history podcast, where we podcast about the history of food. I'm your host, Tim, and with me is my confidant and your other host. What's up, you guys? I'm L, confidant. <laughs> L, we're talking about sodi pops. Soda pops. Today. Yeah. We're talking about the sodi pop, Coke, pop, soda, water, the whole nine. What do you call it? Uh, I'm one of those people, and I'm like, Coke, but I say it for everything. I- it's because you, you're from the South, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. I get a Coke? Yeah, but do you actually want a Coke or do you want something besides Coke? And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess yeah. I'll take it. No, yeah. it's just Coke. <laughs> yeah, you got you guys got any Coke? Guys <laughs> got any Coke? Yeah, man. We uh, yeah, we in Texas we say Coke as well. Um, even though like Texas is a big Dr Pepper state. What? Because uh, it started there. But really, yeah. wow, I just um, something new. Yeah, just a few minutes into this. Big, uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna learn a lot. <laughs> Today we're in. This is a a story, uh, multiple stories actually. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about soda? Do you like soda? I love a good soda. Yes, soda. Drinker. I love too. Mu- I probably love it too much. I I don't know. Me too, yeah. man. I fucking love soda. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan. Our doctor's Big gonna fan. not be not be good. Like, glad to hear that. But yeah, no, I I just like it. I just I don't know. I don't necessarily have like a. I'm not uh, partial to any brand per se. Oh, are you serious? Um. Again, I'm one of the like it is what it is. Like if if I'm wanting a soda and if I'm wanting say for example, I'm like wanting a Fanta, but Orange Crush is only available, like I'll still probably drink the Orange Crush cuz I think it's going to be it's still satisfying that orange carbonation. Yeah. That I'm, well, I yeah. think Orange Crush is the is the best one of oh. orange sodas. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. I'll just say that right now. Fanta can go suck a fat Oh, one. <laughs> shots fired. Yeah, we're not we're not getting sponsored by Fanta. <laughs> uh, but I'd rather be sponsored by Orange Crush. Hit me up. Hit me up. <laughs> I believe Pepsi owns them. I was like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I believe PepsiCo owns them. Um, I yeah, I'm a big big soda fan and uh and you know me, I don't sit on fences a lot, so I have a pretty hard, have hard lines. staunch yes. opinion about which soda that I go for. Um, it's easily Coca-Cola. Like, it's not even a competition. It, Coke. Coke. And specifically, Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> like, Tim, <laughs> what? Like, no way. I would not have pegged you for a Diet yeah, Coke Oh, don't, don't come at I, me. No, no. With the DC, buddy? Oh, yeah. dude. The DC is unreal. I don't know. It's unreal. It's the only DC in my life. <laughs> it's the only recognized DC in the United States. 
Warner Brothers are um, shaking in their boots right now with you saying that. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the not state state <laughs> Washington DC. Uh make it a state. Yeah, but I yeah, I'm a big big Diet Coke fan. I love Coke Zero too. I'm also I might be a bigger fan of Coke Zero. Overall. I haven't had that in a while. Um, we should have done a taste testing for this. Don't uh I actually tried their new Dreamland flavor today. What is that? It's a lot like their Stardust one. It's kind of like just kind of like a sweet cotton candy-ish sort of vibe going on. It's okay. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know what the Stardust flavor was. Yeah. I'm learning. Okay. Yeah, they also collaborated with uh, Marshmallow uh, with like their strawberry Coke Zero thing, and that one's good as fuck. All right. Oh, uh, there are 362 soda companies in the states as of 2022. What? So, I yeah. know nothing. So on a scale from one to 362. Where do you rank soda? Oh, like three hundred. Yeah, easy yeah. three hundred. Easy, easy three hundred. For me, for me, it's like a, for me, it's like a three thirty-five. <laughs> easy clap. <laughs> like head, head over heels for a good fucking soda water. I love it. <laughs> and I mean soda water in every sense of the word too. I'm a big sparkling water person. Yeah, I love sparkling. Yeah, no. Yeah, you can find me with a Topo Chico twist of lime any day of the week. So good. Smack dough. Hey, smack dough. <laughs> All right. This is a long episode, so we got to get going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. Hey, guys. Welcome to the ad section. I'm here to tell you real quick about Anchor by Spotify. You may have heard us talk about Anchor at the end of our episodes. Is because Anchor is the platform we use to distribute our podcasts. It's totally free. It helps us distribute our podcasts to different platforms. That's how we're on Apple Podcasts. That's how we're on Google Podcasts, CastBox, you name it. They've helped us do that. You can record directly on the app, on the webpage. They don't even need a super fancy setup. It's super straightforward totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your podcast or whatever you like to do. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of the episode. Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. So I'm going to mainly focus on the fizzy drinks uh, today. So we're going to be talking mostly about bubbly stuff. But just quickly, I will mention that the term soft drink, which is pretty colloquial with uh, soda, but the term soft drink is technically any drink that isn't really alcohol. <laughs> they like oh like okay lemonade and shit's considered a soft drink. So uh, oh um, okay okay I see okay yeah. I see where that's coming from. So and it, soft drink comes from the fact that like we call alcoholic beverages hard drinks hard drinks so, right like <laughs> yeah and so. Soft drink just means like, oh, okay, cool. This is a drink that doesn't have alcohol. I love how literal we are in our society sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. And soft drinks actually started in medieval Middle East as Sharbat, which we've talked about Sharbat before. Mm -hmm. Um, In our ice cream episode, uh, they used to uh, freeze Sharbat every once in a while. Remember, they used to, it was like almost a precursor to like slushies, essentially. Yes. Delicious, I'm sure. Yeah, so those, and we've talked a little bit about how those drinks ended up making their way to medieval Europe, and they loved them there, so the success just kept going. Um, and so that was kind of like, you know, that's early soft drinks, essentially. It's just like fruit juices and drinks and mixers, mix and stuff like that. Um, lemonade being a really popular one. Ooh, okay. Yeah, but the fizzy stuff, uh, it started in the 17th century. 
People were trying to recreate the effervescence and the quote-unquote healing properties of natural mineral springs, which you and I personally have talked about the fact <laughs> that there are actually naturally carbonated springs. Yes. Um, those do exist on the planet. Um, but yeah, they were trying to mimic that essentially. And so there was a, you know, some books that came out around the time just like studying the properties of, you know, aerated water as they called it. But it really wouldn't be until the 18th century where um, one of the co-founders of oxygen... <laughs> Like the actual, yeah, the actual like gas. Uh, Joseph Priestley would put a bowl of water above a fermentation batch of beer and that infused the excess CO2 with the water. And he figured out that, yeah, you could essentially make still water or flat water rather into bubbly. Oh, that's cool. What a fun little like... Uh, yeah. science experiment. Okay. So he would go on to create uh, a contraption that would essentially make fizzy water just better. Um, <laughs> uh, and he wrote that all down in 1772. And I read that document, the original one. Uh, okay. Hell yeah, Tim. That's wonderful. Yeah, I don't, because I don't fuck around. Uh, so I'm going to explain it now. Um, along with Sarah Laskow of the Atlantic, who does a better job of explaining it than I was doing. So <laughs> I, I used her as a resource. So I appreciate you, Sarah. that. <laughs> so Priestley filled a, a, a bottle with a narrow neck, but wide enough so it could like stand when it was flipped upside down because that, that bottle is going to be inverted at some point. So they filled the bottle up with water, placed a piece of paper on top of the opening. He put the bottle in uh, another bowl upside down that was also partially filled with water uh that way there was no like spillage for when he took the piece of paper out he would then fit a flexible tube underneath into the actual bottle and at the other end of that tube he would attach a bladder an actual like animal bladder such as a pig bladder for instance and then on the end of that bladder he would attach a cork with a small hole that's a hell of a contraption right now okay yeah one end of the bladder he's got the tube going into the um the i'm gonna call it a vase because that's all i can think of sure. when I think yeah. about it the vase full of upside the upside down vase full of water <laughs> in the bowl and then at the other end of that bladder is that cork with a small hole he would then grab a smaller second bottle where he would put some chalk water and sulfuric acid and he would shake that up and that would release co2 and he would just cork that with the cork bladder and so the co2 oh, would rise yeah, into okay. the pig's bladder yeah and then you would just squeeze the bladder and it would squeeze that into the tube that's fun okay you had a container full of water and gas and that would ultimately fuse together but he also recommended like shaking it up and that would actually like mix it better so you'd have some bubbly that's what he created that's really fun okay yeah it took zero time for <laughs> people to immediately be like cool we'll make this better so in 1775, three years later, John Newth, sick name, buddy, <laughs> sick name, John Newth, Scottish physician, created a device that consisted of three chambers. Okay. This is a lot. This is going to be a lot of me explaining how chambers and bottles. I'm and tubes here for work. it. This is a science. <laughs> this is a science lesson with a food lesson in there. If you go to the show notes, there will be links, and all the references have photos of these contraptions, so you can actually like physically look at these. Oh, things. that's it's cool. Sick. Yeah. No. So he created a device, uh, which actually ended up just like taking his last name. I think it was called like the Nooth device or something like that. Simple <laughs> enough. Okay. It consisted of. Three chambers stacked on top of each other, um, and they were separated by valves. The top chamber would have water in it. The middle chamber would be empty, but it would have a spigot attached to it because that's ultimately where the uh, bubbly water would come out of. And the bottom was where he put marble chips and sulfuric acid, and 
that created CO2. And so the gas would go through that into the middle chamber. The pressure of the water from the top would then seep down and combine the gas and the water together. Wow. And then you would just spick it out directly from that middle chamber. Oh, that's cool. Okay. John Newth created a soda stream. In the 18th century. That's what I'm trying to Casually. tell you. Casually. No, that, yeah, I'm, now that you kind of put it together like that, yeah, no, he literally created a soda stream. And, uh, yeah, he created a soda stream. And that's actually kind of, kind of part of its popularity and success came from was that like rich Europeans bought his device. Of course. Like, yeah. Absolutely. They were, yeah. They were able to have the bubbly water right in their homes. Holy shit. That's so, so wild. that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. The original inventor of the soda stream, John Newth. Another man that took interest in Priestley's device. Uh, was a jeweler in Geneva who went by the name Jean Jacob Schweppes. <laughs> I won't lie, you had me in the first half. I thought that name was going somewhere else. And I was like, oh, this is the inspiration of... But no, okay. John Jacob. What did Mr. John Jacob do? Schweppes. You're forgetting the last wait, name. Wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Wait a second. Yeah. Can, <laughs> can you repeat... John Jacob Schweppes. Okay. This is his name. Thank you for repeating so, that. Okay. I am catching on what you're putting down, sir. <laughs> So J.J. Schweppes was impressed by Priestley's design, but felt it could be improved. Of felt like he didn't make a big enough batch, and he also felt like it really wasn't all that great of like a bubbly water. Damn. Okay, J.J. And actually, I skipped over it, but John Newth actually uh, criticized the uh, Priestley contraption by saying that the bladder made the water taste like piss. Oh, that's some mad shit yeah. talking going on. Okay. Yeah, no, he and Newth had a little... Uh, a little back and little forth. Back okay, that's fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'll actually... I'll, I think I mentioned it a little bit later in my notes, but I'll also say just quickly, Priestley, like, he was kind of a controversial guy. He, like, insulted the church a lot. I mean, no one really liked dude, him. No one. Uh, <laughs> but hey, I listen, no I'm not really against a dude him. who talks shit against the church. Whatever. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, so by 1980, he had a working model and he spent three more years perfecting that design so Schweppes design was was a crank that was a test of like three different things essentially when you cranked it it would pull co2 from a gasometer and water from a tank and it would put it into a barrel that would then shake the barrel to infuse the gas into the water oh wow okay that's cool and so Schweppes was able to make larger quantities the shaking helped make the uh the water more effervescent so it was like a harder sparkle and yeah so by 1983 he had that working and yeah started handing it out around town he really just kind of wanted to give it to like medical doctors because again they thought this stuff like cured things like syphilis and shit like that oh wow okay yeah they were like this will take care of scurvy and like shit like that no no bullshit i'm not just making shit up um that's like they shit legitimately they thought. thought, yeah. But ultimately, people were like, no, man, this stuff's great, and we're going to pay you. So he started taking payments. In 1791, Schweppes took his water to London. Uh, he had a couple London. people that he was in business with. They they kind of helped like improve the design, just shit like that. And they were like, hey, we got to get this to London. He Schweppes ends up going to London. Um, he actually left his daughter and wife oh, like, sh- to move to London. So to life, boy. Yeah. Didn't see his daughter till like she was 13 again. She ended up making a trip through like war torn France at the time because France was going through a revolution at the time. Maybe you wow. heard of it. Props um, to her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She survived, got there. It was a whole thing. <laughs> wow. Props to her. Yeah. She really crushed that. When Schweppes got to London in 91, 1791, uh, he really didn't have a lot of success because it's not like London was like sitting on their hands. Like I said, after (laughs) Priestley's design, there were tons of people that were 
on this shit. The Nuth device was going on, all that stuff. So he, he really didn't have a ton of success, and he was thinking about, like, making his way back. And this was after some years. But his, his partners were like, no, don't come back. Like, stick it out. They would end up backtracking on that. Oh, okay. Later, but then it actually got too treacherous for he and his daughter to like make a trip back because France ended up declaring war on Britain. Oh, sh- <laughs> like, whoa. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't uh, he wasn't able to like actually leave after that point, but it kind of worked out because in '96, after some years of just kind of driving his way through, just selling his water, he had no options. I mean, he wasn't going to make it back, so. He just kept selling his water. And then in 1796, Schweppes got some high-profile endorsements, one from Dr. George Pearson, and the other one was from Erasmus Darwin, which is Charles Darwin's grandfather. No way. Um, Yeah. Interesting endorsements. Okay. Yeah, but that's the thing is during that time, doctors were pretty high up there, biologists, things like that. They were all highfalutin. And that made Schweppes the sparkling water of London, essentially. It turned his whole thing around he got those two endorsements and his water just started selling by the gallons (laughs) oddly enough though jj would end up selling his company two years later partially his wife ended up passing away and he hadn't seen her since he left Oof, that's Um, rough so yeah he never got to see her again she passed away he would end up selling his company like two years later so uh but afterwards and the company obviously it flourished it's still with us today right yeah matter of fact by the time Schweppes passed away in 1821 even though he wasn't with the company uh just in that amount of time the company had made its way all the way to british high society and was also considered their preference of sparkling water wow so, look at the man dude yeah Schweppes was uh doing really well as a company and pretty much just kind of took over Europe as like the official uh, sparkling water for Europe. And I, this is just a quick note because we are done with Schweppes and we're going to make our way over to the States because that's how this is going to work. Europe has <laughs> its timeline. The States has its timeline. Very different timelines so, for sure. Yeah. But just a quick note, I will note that in the States and in Europe, nobody really knows when uh, people started to add flavor to like sparkling water, like tonic water was being made, uh, which tonic is a mixture of, uh, it's not juniper, but it's related. It's like, it's, it's like a extract from a tree or bark, something like that. Hey guys, present Tim jumping in again. I just wanted to correctly say what tonic water was, which is um, a sparkling beverage with quinine in it, which is actually a drug that helps with malaria. Quinine has a bitter taste, which is why it was pretty popular. Uh, I was getting it mixed up because obviously gin and tonics are very popular. It's because the bitterness of the quinine works really well with the floral uh, taste of juniper. So that was my mix up. So tonic water is just uh, sweetened water with quinine in it, even though modern renditions have very little of that in it. But yeah. That's it, and back to past him. So, yeah, you didn't get your tonic water, which is like this floral sweet drink. But also, yeah, man, like lemonades, like sparkling lemonades became a thing. Pretty much, it sort of just seems like it came out of needs from the public. You know, you have a business, you want your business to do well. People get bored of a product. Yeah, how do we make the product better? And I mentioned sparkling lemonade, and it was actually... (laughs) And in Europe, it was really popular, so much so that it remained the UK's most popular soda until after World War II. Oh, wow. And the Colas took the lead. Yeah, that's insane. That's a long, the yeah. United Kingdom just like had sparkling lemonade as their favorite that soda was their go-to. until like dark soda, dark Colas came around. And that's something else that I noted in my research is that like 
cola ended up becoming like its own section essentially so your pep your dr peppers and pepsis and coke um they all ended up like taking on the uh name of cola because they used the cola nut at some oh, point. Oh, okay. Now it's putting two and two together. It's not just because, okay. Yeah. We're going to get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> Got my thinking cap on today. Soda would develop a touch different in the States. In Europe, it was the bottled water was the shit. Bottled soda water was where it was at. Okay. In the States, however, which we also mentioned a little bit in ice cream, soda jerks were really popular. There was a reason for it. So Benjamin Silliman would end up opening up the very first soda fountain in 1806. But he sort of ended up opening up the first one because he was forced into that. Okay. Yeah, Silliman was a former law student turned chemistry teacher. Interesting. Okay, quite the jump. Yeah, because chemistry was a little baby back then. It was just, you know, it was a wee lad. And uh, they just needed people that, like, wanted to teach it. (laughs) Pretty much, like, and I'm not kidding, Yale offered him the job because they were like, hey, you're smart. Do you wanna? No way. He's like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) So he started studying chemistry in Philly, where he actually met up with Priestley, who had, by that time, fled Europe uh, for he and his family's safety after, again, Smart. like I said, he shit-talked the church. He was just kind of a Smart. dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, but he's cool. Whatever. Um, and, yeah, they discuss science and other things, religion, all that shit. And after his time in Philly, he traveled to uh, Europe in 1805 to study uh, even more. And he, uh, at when he was in Europe, he also got to see, yeah, the sparkling soda sensation in bottles over mm. there. So he thought, yeah, I'll do that to make some cash. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he was getting ready to get married, so that was a big, that's a big, like, Oh, he definitely needs some money, yeah. He felt, yeah, he felt like he wasn't going to make enough teaching, so he wanted to secure some extra money, and he saw how successful that was over there. He was like, I'll do it there. I respect that hustle. Okay. Yeah, he bought a a new apparatus and started his business in a New Haven apothecary. However, bottling wasn't really a thing in the States because bottling wasn't really an industry in oh, the States at the time. Okay. We're, you know, we're getting a lot of imports at the time and bottles were one of them. We just didn't have a big glass industry in, in that the makes early sense. 1800s. Yeah. And Silliman, after realizing this, was like, okay, I'm just going to figure out a way to secure some bottles uh, from Britain. History has a way of fucking with people's ambitions. Uh, <laughs> so during that time, Britain and France were bickering at each other. Yeah, getting into war. Like they do, um, and like we've already said. And Britain pretty much said that any country trading with its enemies would be cut off. Well, the states would actually help those countries trade with France, so we were kind of, you know, doing some backdoor deals because we're the states who gives a fuck. Um, Also, we got, we tight with France. Always willing (laughs) to deal at the time. At the time. (laughs) At the time. And, well, you know, Britain found out about it and cut off our ports. Assholes. Yeah, they cut off our ports. Well, we weren't really, like, we didn't have the biggest, like, naval military at the time. So how do we cut back, right? Like, how do we get back at them? We stop getting imports from Britain. Oh. (laughs) So we cut off imports of tons of different things. No money, honey. Yeah. Um, By the way, all these events would eventually lead to the War of 1812. Oh, Um, (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. All this is wow. kind of what I realize. Okay, yeah, kind I, of pre- I appreciate that. Like the progression of, I'm like, oh, okay, like these singular events that are happening. But it's like, oh no, actually, this yeah. is this is legitimately going to lead up to a war in which, as yeah. also like the, our U.S. history, like we are a part of. Thank you for that, Tim. 
Yeah. That's very funny. It's not funny, but it's very funny. Yeah, we were like, oh, yeah, French Revolution, yeah. you know, late 1700s. Oh, yeah, France and Britain mm. go to war, mm-hmm. later 1700s. And then we're like, oh, early oh, wait, 1800s. Just Those weren't fully resolved, and then the War of 1812 happened. <laughs> because, yeah, we're not exactly in great standing with them either, right? Not like, exactly. <laughs> Revolutionary War was a generation ago. <laughs> like, there's still there's some probably bad some blood. bad blood yeah, still. Yeah, for know, sure. Right? Yeah. So yeah, obviously all that stuff stopped him from getting bottles, but that didn't stop Silliman. He would just end up setting up his uh, Nuth device and at the apothecary and start selling it by the glass because Good the market him. was there. He just wasn't able to bottle it the way that he wanted to. Yeah, inadvertently he kind of created the craze. <laughs> so that's how that worked. Uh, I oddly enough. After the War of 1812, America's bottling business picked up due to shortages. We ended up just kind of like... Okay, we just made our own. Filling that vacuum, right? That really didn't mean much in the way of bottling things, though, because um, turns out that bottling fizzy water is really difficult. Um, (laughs) First of all, bottles would break a lot. Um, Keeping the the water fizzy was hard because the CO2 would seep out through shitty seals and then bottle factories were really dirty and gross um which really actually wouldn't get resolved until like the 1900s oh that's (laughs) way too long what yeah yeah Uh, america was gross at a point (laughs) like real dirty real dirty shit no that's that's very Um, reminiscent of uh the wine episode because they were having trouble uh keeping the sparkling wine contained it was Mm -hmm. the same idea it was exploding all all the time (laughs) yeah yeah, um, and I, we'll jump forward real quick. Uh, in 1892, William Painter actually would invent the crown cork bottle cap, the crimped bottle cap. Oh, okay. Six years later, he would actually undermine his own invention by inventing <laughs> the all-in-one crown soda machine, which mixed the syrup and water as well as capped the bottle. The dude just pretty much like streamlined the whole bottling process. Again, that didn't didn't happen until late 1800s, and like I said, like cleaning up the factories would take uh, a little bit more time and people who actually gave a shit. Until then, the soda fountain craze would be the thing for pretty much a full century. Soda fountain design was sort of the name of the game at the time. You know, the more flamboyant your soda fountain was, it was mm-hmm. a big draw. So brass became a big deal. Really ornate spigots were a big thing. Fun, okay. Uh, and another thing, another thing that would help you set yourself apart were uh flavors and so okay here we go yeah so early on during this the beginning of all this when companies were just well when not companies people Mm -hmm. when people the actual people were trying yeah just like i said companies it's not true these were just like dirty ass businesses setting up in fucking pharmacies you know what i mean (laughs) Um, because again, you were kind of you were a chemist, and so chemists were in pharmacies. I believe I've said this in the ice cream episode, but a lot of soda fountains were set up in pharmacies at the beginning, and kind of until they weren't fashionable anymore. It was just pharmacies. That's where those things were. And for the most part, you had like your fruit flavors, right? Like you know, whatever normal stuff. Then you had your more exotic plants, sassafras, sassafras. But also, some of the pharmacies would actually use 
some of the medis- medicine ingredients in the water. Oh, uh, all right. Now like you shit have they my... would put in their, yeah, <laughs> shit they would put in their lotions and stuff like that. They would just like add it to the soda water. Not a big deal. Yeah, and some soda jerks added cream to the water, which is a precursor to Robert McKay Green's 1874 invention of the soda float, which we Ooh, also talked about. Love soda float. Yeah, and others would add chocolate syrup. A really popular one early on was called egg soda. No. Which is where you, yep, uh, you would stir an uncooked egg white to create that frothy sort of top, um, like meringue-ish, you know what I mean? And then some flavors like sarsaparilla, which have like medicinal origins, would get thrown into the mix as well. And I'm going to use sarsaparilla to, okay. sarsaparilla, sorry, to uh, segue into root beer because I didn't have a good segue for that one. <laughs> uh, so root beer technically wasn't a soda at first. What was it, Tim? It was known as a small beer. And small oh. beers are actually... Uh, a really big thing. It was pretty much taking roots and plants and berries and stuff like that, and you fermented them only slightly, uh, so they didn't have a lot of alcohol. That would create this really medicinal, kind of hearty, sparkling beverage. But it, again, it was sparkling because of the fermentation, not because of added um, CO2. Wow. Okay. No clue. Yeah. And an early popular small beer was actually spruce beer. Uh, it, it, it was made from spruce leaves, if you could guess. Very easy one to make. <laughs> Um, and George Washington actually added it to his rations for morale boost. Oh, people loved it. People absolutely. loved the taste of spruce leaves. But root beer would uh, quickly become a favorite amongst Americans. And it started mostly as family recipes. That's fun. Okay. Yeah, there's not like a root beer recipe at the time. Uh, but most recipes did have like licorice root, sarsaparilla, vanilla, wintergreen, and sassafras. People wanted to get root beer into soda shops though, because it was a popular drink. So they're like, how can we capitalize on sure, this? Sure. Okay. Yeah. The first one to attempt this was in 1866 when Henry Smith and Hiram Snow bottled their own root beer recipe in stoneware bottles and sold it as a summer beverage. Smart. Okay. Good marketing yeah. right there. Still not a soda. Still making just root beer and selling it breweries already exist okay this isn't like that's not like a, th- a big this not a, a separate big thing leap okay just yeah. happened there however the real transformation because you i don't know if you've had root beer recently i ha- well but it doesn't matter root beer in your lifetime l is a soda <laughs> it's but yeah it's a it's an extract mixed with a syrup mixed into soda water like it's not there is no like <laughs> sarsaparilla it is not the same root beer that uh, our grandparents put on fermenting root beer it's not a thing so and the way it kind of got to that point was charles elmer hires he created hires root beer in 1876 okay he got the initial recipe for his root beer from his honeymoon where the hostess at the place they were staying offered him and his wife some homemade herb tea is what she called it okay yeah from there he liked it so much he asked for the recipe she obliged once he studied over the recipe he decided to make it a powder extract. Ooh, he was like, if I do that's th- innovative. Yeah. And he could add that to the sparkling water. And and the brilliant thing about the powder extract is it allowed him to be efficient in whatever ingredients he picked. He right. didn't have to rely on what was around him. And he could get more exotic things. So he would get oversea herbs, things like that. It just allowed him to be not only consistent, but even add 
complexity to his uh, flavor profile. His sales were slow to begin, which is normal. To be expected. Yeah, he ended up uh, being convinced by a man named George Childs to advertise his beverage. Good old advertising and marketing, baby. Okay. And that really changed the game for hires. He sort of set the early stages of soda advertising. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. He had two columns in the paper. He opened up his own printing division to produce cards, booklets, and pictures. And those pictures would placate to the Christian temperance movement at the time. Oh, get out of here, Tim. We'll talk about that. Okay. (laughs) Full-on marketing campaign, my guy. Yeah, within five years, he sold enough extract to make 1.5 million glasses of fruit beer a year. what? I didn't expect those type of numbers, okay. By all standards, he was the first one. He was the first soda to ever be that successful. And that's when it really started to inspire some of these other soda makers. Moxie being one of them, and Coca-Cola being another. Huh. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. I, if Moxie doesn't sound familiar, it's okay. It's a, it was, uh, it died out before our lifetime, <laughs> but even our parents, even, even in their lifetime, it had become this really niche, like Northeastern okay. soda. Yeah, but at one point in Moxie, I did include them because they were really big. Like, really big. They did help the soda movement. Wow, okay. Had no clue. They started in 1876, and they were originally uh, known as Moxie Nerve Food. Oh. It, they were started by a spiritualist, Dr. Augustin Thompson. There's your doctors again. Yeah, and Moxie was initially sold as an elixir. It wasn't even a soda. It was an elixir. Like, it wasn't Full carbonated. Full-on medicine, okay. Straight up, straight up just a dark... <laughs> like syrup situation. Okay. Okay. Is it lean? Yeah. Thompson was one of those homeopathic quacks and he lied. Oh, <laughs> he lied to people. Shock. Okay. Yeah. 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 Said Moxie was made from this turnip from South America and it made oh, you like okay. awesome or whatever. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, if I can drink this liquid and you'll, I don't know, be I, able to fight the sun. I forgot. <laughs> well, I forgot this was like earlier on in the day where you could, marketing just consisted of you lying about your product and it was fine because yeah, no just, one said anything just, about it. <laughs> you just lied. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't made from like some weird turnip. It was just sugar, wintergreen, and ginseng root extract. And apparently it tasted like bitter root beer with a licorice aftertaste. Not terrible. It didn't really light up the world as an elixir. So by 1884, he relaunched it as a soda. Yeah. Way to reinvent himself. Okay. Yeah. By 1899, Moxie was selling around 2.3 million bottles a year. Holy cow. What? That's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And during World War One, they ran ads that the country needed some moxie. That's so clever. So if you've ever yeah. heard the phrase, Mo- yes, that's Get, where it comes that's from. That's impressive. That's impressive. We don't- yeah, she's got moxie. <laughs> you see? Yeah, no, that's from the fucking. Inc- yeah, here comes my incredible. I know voice. that was incredibly executed, though. <laughs> I, I need you to talk like that for the rest of the pod. But oh my goodness, though. <laughs> Yeah. You want to talk about cultural yeah. impact? I mean, yeah. to your point, we I didn't even I didn't even heard of the drink in and of itself, but damn, I had <laughs> heard of the word moxie and the idea behind it. So that's so impressive to me. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I would love if a uh, if a soda company made like a moxie facsimile. Yeah, I would love to try it. Like I'm I'm interested in trying weird, gross, niche shit from like. <laughs> early 19th late and what did 18th? it say its, its flavor <laughs> profile was just like uh it was like a they, apparently like a burnt root beer with a uh licorice yeah aftertaste. sure i'll try it why not yeah sure why not <laughs> bring moxie not? back all right moving on i'm bringing moxie back yeah 
bring that back. Cocaine addict and medicine man John Pemberton <laughs> served Coca-Cola for the first time in Atlanta, Georgia in 1886. Yeah, 1886, Atlanta, Georgia. Coca-Cola was first served. I didn't. If you guys don't know this, uh, Atlanta, Georgia is the home of Coca-Cola. Their headquarters is still there to this day. You can go there to the world of Coca-Cola and try all their crazy flavors and shit like that. It's pretty cool. No, I'm, I'm glad you Check brought that up because I... Was familiar that the Coca-Cola HQ was in Atlanta, but I didn't know that that's actually like OG where they are from. So it's kind of cool that they're still there to this day because I feel like that's not necessarily always the case. So that's cool. Yeah. Don't give them too much prop, Bill. (laughs) It's a big corporation after all. They've probably done Oh, 100%. But I'll give them that. I'll give them that. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Coca-Cola wasn't the first cocaine beverage that Pemberton sold. This man's a drug dealer. Okay, continue on, Tim. Yo, cocaine? He's big pushing it. Deal. He's pushing it. You're t- that's- big, big deal, my guy. Listen to this. So, he actually sold a product known as Coca Wine, <laughs> which was invented by then Mariani in Europe circa 1863. So, he didn't even create the shit. The shit was being sold in Europe he in 1863. It. Got it. I want you to guess what the fuck Coca Wine is. I mean, just basically based off of like. What I have presented in front of me. I'm assuming wine that had cocaine in it. Yes, literally wine with cocaine in it. And it was globally popular. Globally. (laughs) I bet it was, Tim. John didn't travel to Europe. That's it was just popular. It was just a thing that everyone got a hold of. (laughs) Um, And it had recommended dosage, by the way. Oh, Uh, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. Coca wine was recommended for three full claret glasses a day. Which was the equivalent of doing a line of cocaine <laughs> on top of drinking three full 22-proof wine to wash it down. So, so every, ask you. every day, <laughs> people just ripping a line and chugging a 250-milliliter bottle of 22-proof wine. I want to present this. I'm like, was life really that much better back then or were you all just zooted out of your mind so everything just seemed way better than it was because i'm sorry you have essentially just been prescribed a line of cocaine and 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 then glasses of wine for throughout like you're gonna feel great you're gonna have a great time i don't care what you're doing you're gonna gonna be living on cloud nine well that's That's what made cocaine so popular in the 1800s it was so popular former president ulysses s grant was literally my boy. Doing, he was doing coke as he was dying of throat cancer. I knew because, he was one of my favorite presidents because he said it made him feel good, <laughs> and that's what it does. It makes you feel good. So he's dying of throat cancer, and the dude's just doing bumps, just bumps all day. Cocaine was big, man. It was big back then. Um, Pemberton tried cocaine. He fucking loved it. He clearly <laughs> loved it. <laughs> made him feel awesome. So yeah, he made coca wine, and it was successful. <laughs> he found some success. He ended up moving to uh, Atlanta to continue selling his coca wine. But he also began to work on a soda syrup to sell to the soda fountains in Atlanta. Atlanta was actually rebuilding from the Civil War, which Pemberton Ooh, actually okay. fought in for the uh, for the Confederates. And of course, yeah. Well, you know, he's from the South. And yeah, during that yeah. time, during that time, he actually received a pretty bad injury. Uh, he didn't die, but it would c- give him stomach problems for the rest of his life um, and eventually kill him. But Oof, wow, yeah, sort of jumping ahead, but something to note. Probably why he liked cocaine so much. Um, I was just at that. Yeah, probably fueled his cocaine addiction. Yeah, so he started to. He wanted to develop a soda syrup to sell to the soda fountains in Atlanta. It was also believed that he started to to develop the soda syrup because the temperance movement 
started to make ground again. They disappeared for a bit during the Civil War, but they started to make some more ground after the fact. And they actually were were getting the uh, banning of alcohol in different cities and states. So while it was only bars and shit being impacted at the time, he felt they could probably target pharmacies if they wanted to. So so he was like, I'm going to diversify. And along with cocaine and Coca-Cola, he used the cola nut. Tell me more about this cola nut. Yeah, so that's a seed from West Africa. Uh, it was popular in the 1800s because of the energy that you gained from its consumption. The popularity died off pretty quickly, maybe even faster than cocaine. <laughs> uh, because essentially the energy you got from it wasn't any different than just like, you know, a cup of coffee, couple cups of coffee ah. even. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't, it was essentially yeah. just like a like taking caffeine. Um, and so that whole thing about like Coca-Cola containing like cocaine at a point, it, first of all, very true. One thing I used to believe is that it was just a minuscule amount, which admittedly for most of its life, yes, when it did have cocaine, it was a minuscule amount, but the the first, the very first rendition of it, uh, no, it had a good amount Mm -hmm. of cocaine in it. It was, uh, it was a cocaine drink. (laughs) 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 Yeah. This first one, this, this, uh, yeah, this 1886 one, sure. For sure, had like had cocaine in it, <laughs> like, and uh, had good amount of colon in it. Ultimately, he would drop the colon up back a little bit and just do like synthetic caffeine, cocaine. Um, oh. no, the cocaine stayed. That the co- the cocaine will stay for a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but the cola was getting replaced. That was believed mainly also one due to its like you know not it popularity starting to drop, but also right. it was more expensive than just like synthetic caffeine, uh-huh. which. Okay. Did the same fucking thing. But if you're doing cocaine, the caffeine's not. <laughs> That's not really what I'm, what I'm worrying about here. Yeah. After he launched Coca-Cola, he was approached by two men, Frank Robinson and David Doe. They wanted to advertise Coca-Cola, but they liked the product so much, I bet they did, um, that they actually ended up, <laughs> they ended up buying into the products. Yeah. And the first Coca-Cola ad happened later that year, same year, 1886, and it featured words about how invigorating, refreshing, and delicious Coca-Cola is. Oh, yeah. It's something. Money didn't really come flying in. Uh, and then Pemberton, he suffered from those stomach issues, and so he ended up going to his sickbed. And after that little rough start, Doe backed out. He really wasn't feeling it. Felt like it wasn't a big thing. But Robinson, he believed in it. He doubled down. And he actually hand-wrote the famous Coca-Cola logo. Oh, wow. Which is still their fucking thing. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that hasn't so, changed. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. And he went on a big uh, advertising campaign. You know, gave out exchange tickets. Just he really ran the gambit. He really believed in this product, and he had some success. Order started to roll in, but Pemberton's health just kept getting in the way. So, a lot sort of happened before Coca-Cola became Coca-Cola. Pemberton had no money. He actually ended up selling two-thirds stake in Coke to the owner of the soda fountain that he sold Coca-Cola at oh. um, and a patent medicine manufacturer, George Lowndes. And that actually s- sort of put Robinson on the back burner. He now owned less than both of them, so those two kind of controlled Coca-Cola's fate for a second. Robinson felt betrayed in this felt like, why wouldn't you just sell them to me? I'm the one that put a lot of money and effort into this. Uh, and he got in touch with a lawyer, John Candler to see if Ooh. anything could be done and nothing could 
Candler, I mean, pretty much it was a uh. done deal, right? However, that would give him contact to his brother, Asa Candler. Asa would hire Robinson as a part-time bookkeeper uh, before Asa was in uh, was convinced to invest in Coca-Cola, which he was only convinced uh, because he had a headache a couple times and Coca-Cola no, got rid of him. So... <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is why he ended up ended up pretty much buying Coca-Cola. Candler. Again, hell of a fucking endorsement, yeah. Yeah, and once he bought Coca-Cola, he put Robinson back in charge of advertising. And then they redid the recipe. Okay. This they is pretty okay. Much, yeah. They pretty much took out the cocaine, um, whatever left of the cola. Like, it was minuscule amounts at that point. They kept some because they didn't want to infringe on their trademark rights since their name was Coca-Cola. And if they didn't have two of the made <laughs> ingredients, they felt that they could get uh, sued and have to change the name for that. Absolutely. They also gave code names to the recipe to protect it from thievery. So this is the the start of the legend of the secret recipe. All right, uh, yes. They essentially had seven different things that they called merchandise. Merchandise number one, merchandise number two, three, four, five, six, seven. And each of those things are literally just like the different parts. Like sugar, <laughs> um, cocaine leaf. <laughs> like that's all they are. From there, Coca-Cola was off to the races. That's how they became Coca-Cola, essentially. In 1899, they contracted bottle companies to start bottling their products. Okay. Like I said, man, the bottling shit came real late. I mean, at the time, Coca-Cola wasn't even that interested in bottling it. They felt like it was too expensive. The factories were dirty. It's not fucking worth it. They really weren't that interested, but it was a small buy-in, so they kind of just went for it. And that actually uh, worked out because it started what would be the earliest franchising in American history because the people that wanted to bottle it, the only way they could make money off of it was franchising bottling companies. And those oh, different wow. bottling right. companies would set up contracts yeah. with Coca-Cola to get the syrup for X amount price per gallon for X amount of time. And they would just redo contracts. So this was like the first franchising in American history. In 1914, uh, the Coca-Cola Bottlers Association, which would be formed uh, a few years earlier to protect the bottlers of America, they created the first liability insurance in America. <laughs> Coca-Cola. These bottlers, okay. Yeah, so Coca-Cola, man, they... Uh, Big impact on just kind of like business. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's so insane. many facets of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't. I mean, it's kind of wild. Coca-Cola is often regarded as the oldest cola to still exist. It's technically not true. There's one that actually predates the beverage by five months, and that's Dr. Pepper. Tell me more, Tim. Okay. So, Charles... Alderton was a pharmacist for a store named Old Corner Drug Store in Waco, Texas. Alderton created Dr. Pepper in December of 1885 when he noticed his patrons were growing tired of the same old drinks, right? You know, you got your lemons, your oranges, all that nonsense. So uh, he threw <laughs> 23 things into a container and created the unique taste of Dr. Pepper. 20. Oh, wait, that was serious? That was real. Yes. He threw in 23. Okay. That's why that's Dr. Pepper fun. says 23 flavors still to this day. Yeah, so the owner of the store, Wade Morrison, liked the soda. He really enjoyed it. Uh, he was like, yeah, let's sell it. And he was actually the one that named it Dr. Pepper. And the sales would soon outgrow the working conditions of the drugstore. They had soda shops around the you know city wanting the mm -hmm. syrup. So they went into business with a man known as Robert Lazenby. Sure. Could be Lazenby. I don't know. He was the owner of Circle A Ginger Ale Bottling Company, 
and together they would all start the Artisan Manufacturing and Bottling Company. And that helped expand their business to fulfill those orders. Furthermore, Lansenby would end up taking Dr. Pepper to the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. Hang on, wait a second. At the same 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, the one and only, our favorite. The one where everything was pretty much revealed. <laughs> Unveiled yeah. there. Yeah. And initially, Dr. Pepper actually started out caffeine-free. Uh, but they would end up adding caffeine in 1917 after Lansby changed his mind on the stimulant. Smart but choice. Early on. Yeah, early on. They weren't a fan. They weren't a fan. Over a decade after Coke and Dr. Pepper, uh, Pepsi-Cola came around. hey In these 1898. Guys. Yeah. Can't forget about them. Okay. Yeah. Late start for Pepsi-Cola. 1898. Always have to have a late bloomer. Yeah. Caleb Bradham was a student of medicine, although he ended up having to leave school early due to financial issues. He ended up buying a drugstore in 1893 after the owner passed away, and uh, Bradham enjoyed experimenting with different soda recipes, uh, and he would, you know, get all of his patrons and friends to try them out. Mm -hmm. And then he set out to create a soda that would help his patrons with their indigestion, uh, as well as creating soda that didn't have caffeine, cola nut, cocaine or alcohol he wanted to create a clean soda a clean soda as they call it and okay. so the name pepsi actually comes from the medical term for indigestion which is uh dyspepsia wait no fucking way yeah and then the cola part of pepsi cola is obviously that it tastes like a cola so <laughs> stomach cola yeah yeah so by 1901 he was selling around 8,000 gallons of syrup by 1907 he was selling a hundred thousand gallons of the syrup. That's an absurd, like, jump up. Holy cow. Yeah, so out of all those, Coca-Cola had the fucking, one of the most batshit origins in the world. Everyone else is kind of like, yeah, dude started a thing. <laughs> the first big snafu would come toward, well, not the first one, but one of the big snafus is World War One would cause a shortage of sugar. Yep. Yeah. And when the wartime price control came to an end in December of 1919, sugar went from nine cents a pound to 28 cents a pound within six Holy cow. months. That's a hell of a jump, man. Yeah, so... Nearly three times. The cola companies were like, all right, well, we got to stockpile sugar to withstand further price increases. Buy a lot of it, have it on stockpile at this price. That way, when it jumps up 35 cents in another six months, we'll have sugar that's being used at the 28 cents mark. And then, in August 1920, the sugar bubble burst. And within days, days, the price of sugar plummeted to 10 cents per pound. Oh, my. Per pound. Oh, so, my goodness. All these soda companies just bought a year plus supply of sugar at 28 cents per pound, and now their sugar roaming around at 10 cents per pound. This sort of not great. Yeah, this is sort of the the beginning of the end for Moxie. This is what considered is their ultimate downfall. This is kind of where it starts. And at the time, they were actually still outselling Coke, technically not by much, but they were still outselling Coke. Oh, wow. Um, but this caused them to pull back advertising and it pretty much just like dropped their momentum. It just ruined them. They just weren't really mm -hmm. ever able to recover. And Moxie sort of just like dwindles from there. It's kind of a sad <sighs> story. They don't That's really so ever sad, do anything yeah. to pick sales back up. And like I said, even by like our parents' lifetime at that point, they were just like this real niche Northeastern soda <laughs> that 
pretty much just like even flavor profile wise was never going to come back. Uh-huh. Things starting to move along and away from that sort of like harsh licorice taste. Mm-hmm. And while Moxie got it pretty bad, Pepsi got it probably worse. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it got so bad that Brandon tried selling Pepsi Cola to Coke and it wasn't successful. He wasn't able to sell it. And in 1922, Pepsi went bankrupt. Oh, ouch. Yeah, Pepsi dissolved. It no longer existed. Coke, however, they had some leadership changes after the sugar crisis. Obviously, that's like a bad choice that was made to like stockpile sugar. And Coke was actually yeah. kind of the, the leader of the pack. They were the first ones Oof. to be like, ooh, let's do this. And then everyone kind of followed suit. So they had some leadership changes. They actually brought back some former leadership in Candler. Ooh. And the biggest difference, though, is they kept advertising. They just kept on pushing their message essentially they actually saw an increase in sales impressive honestly yeah so by the next year in 21 they'd pretty much run through that sugar stockpile that they bought that's that's actually really impressive considering how much sugar that they bought so i'm gonna surprise you l okay i love surprises yeah that's where i'm leaving you this is gonna be a multi-parter oh tim yeah yeah that's fun okay so i didn't uh tell you this beforehand but no hell yeah there is so much with soda. It is unfucking real. I simply could not fit this into an episode. I just felt like all these origin stories were great and I wanted to get them encapsulated and yes. they really helped set the scene for early soda, what it was like, which is like a bunch of medicine men just trying a bunch of shit out. Um, so <laughs> for Innovation. now, for now, what is going on is Coke has a massive upper hand. All their competition is buckled. And yeah, we're getting past the war. We're gonna we're getting ready to go into the Great Depression. So for the next episode of the Soda Chronicles, I'm gonna discuss the temperance movement, which will probably take us back a little bit. Um, Curious, not too much yeah. longer, but it'll take us a little bit back. Uh, that would end up leading to prohibition. Uh, again, I'm going to discuss the Depression, World War II, and the oddly political cola wars, which, boy, oh boy, that's some good shit. So, <laughs> yeah, that's where I leave you. Grab the popcorn. Okay. I'm not going to get a score from you because I don't want you okay. to score it until yeah. we're done. So part one of the Soda Chronicles comes to a, uh, an end. And just we like will, Moxie, apparently. Yeah. yeah, just like Moxie. And we will, more like Pepsi. And we will, <laughs> we will pick back up next week. So welcome to the end of the episode. Elle, any final thoughts before I jump into shout outs? No, Tim, I am thoroughly excited to see where the rest of Soda takes us. I, you know, I didn't really know much about Soda in general, and I feel like I've now learned so much. And the clarification of hard versus soft drinks, LOL, that makes sense. And I (laughs) want to try sparkling lemonade now. So Yeah, it's good. All right. Welcome to the end. You hear that music, guys. That music is done by Austin Martin. He's a friend of ours. He uh, does the stingers, the the, in, the intro and outro stuff. And you can find him on Apple and Spotify under Meridian Sky. Uh, he does some awesome jam bandy stuff. It's great. You should go, uh, you should go listen to him. Um, guys, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, guys. We're out there. You can come chat with us. We're um, at Where Does Food on Twitter. I'm at Tim Weehunt. L is... At El Chapo with three underscores in between the L and the Chapo. Yeah. You can also find us at our website, wheredoesfood.com. Um, and you can find us on Apple and Spotify and pretty much every podcast catcher at, at this point, I would I feel like. Yeah, you can find us. We're out there. Go have a, a, a listen and, and enjoy and 
Uh, you can help us out by rating us. Yeah, you can rate us wherever super you helpful. find your podcast. It's super helpful. Helps us get out uh, to the world. Um, we also do have a donation button if you feel so inclined to donate. Much appreciated. Yeah, it's much appreciated. That is it. That's I believe. it. So, Tim, you're great. Yeah. You can find all this stuff in the show notes, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. It'll be all linked up. So, support a button. Uh, contacting us, website, all that stuff will be in there. And the show notes. I definitely recommend going through the show notes. Some awesome sources. Uh, one of them is a book. So have Ooh. fun. Read that. <laughs> definitely check out Read all that. the pictures that you're talking about. Yeah, earlier. Yeah. Read and that diagrams. book. Yeah. Peace. <laughs>